We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the year 2000 uh, movie X-Men. No thing after the title, just X-Men. When was the last time you heard that? I It's been, I guess, maybe 16 years or so. That's uh, a rough estimate. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, we are uh, reviewing X-Men in honor of the new release of Logan. Uh, I think right now is going to be the final chapter of Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. Uh, I think I saw some kind of spoiler um, where he steals some bread, um, goes to jail, um, but then makes a new name for himself, and... uh, he recruits some new mutants. Uh, they're called uh, Frenchmen. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to go into some uh, fun production history uh, because this movie was so important uh, to uh, so many of the comic book movies that we have today. So there's a ton of history. So let's dive on in, as Hugh Jackman would say, because he's Australian. Um, so this movie, uh, was actually in development for several years. So throughout, um, 1989 and 1990, Stan Lee and Chris Claremont were in discussions with James Cameron, uh, for a X-Men film adaptation. Uh, but the deal fell apart, uh, when Cameron went to work on Spider-Man. Um, and so the film rights reverted back to Marvel Studios, So, in 1992, Marvel discussed selling the property to Columbia Pictures, which they didn't want it because they said, we're we're good not making a million dollars in the future. (laughs) Then they started working with uh, Avi Arad, uh, who produced the X-Men animated TV series for Fox Kids. And 20th Century Fox was really impressed with the success of the TV show. And so then, uh, Lauren Schuler Donner purchased the film rights for X-Men in 1994. And so the film went through literally dozens of rewrites between 1994 and 2000. To the degree that uh, Joss Whedon even, at one point in time, did a complete rewrite of the whole script. Would you say it's more or less rewrites than Darkman? <laughs> On a scale of one, the Dark Man, how many rewrites? <laughs> it, it had a ton of rewrites, uh, especially over the course of like seven or no math over the course of like five to six years. Um, but eventually, they settled on the script and they got the director Brian Singer to come on in and direct the film. And originally, he did not want to direct the film. Uh, there's a hilarious quote of him saying, "Comic books." We're unintelligent literature. <laughs> That's what Brian Singer said. Uh, but after reading the X-Men comics and watching the X-Men uh, animated series in 92, uh, he found the story's themes of prejudice and discrimination compelling and finally agreed to do a live-action movie. And um, and that's, that's the uh, abridged history of what brought us X-Men. So this was like the first of... Uh, the superhero genre 
that that we really have to thank for movies like the avengers uh this is also at a time uh where a disney does not own marvel and also the marvel cinematic universe didn't exist what happened is uh for marvel to make money just as a company when they were just still a comic book company they would sell off the rights to certain properties um and that's why fox owns the rights to x-men that's why fox studios still produces the x-men movies uh and that's why sony um up until um recently we had the exclusive rights to spider-man which came out uh the following year uh, so they would basically sell off different one-off properties uh and marvel would just collect their royalty check basically um but it wasn't until disney um, I want to say around 2010 or 2011, I'm de- probably wrong, but I'm just doing this from memory, uh, Disney made the option to buy Marvel Studios. And so from that point on, they started um, renegotiating all the contracts that Marvel had with certain characters. And so uh, Fox maintained their rights to have the X-Men franchise as well as Fantastic Four, because they also produced the Fantastic Four movies, the original ones. Um, or at least the ones in the early 2000s, Sony kept Spider-Man, and then um, Daredevil for a while uh, belonged to Paramount, I want to say, but then deferred back to Marvel after they didn't use anything or Mm -hmm. use the character because there was some kind of... uh, I'm not entirely clear of the details because I'm not a lawyer. Uh, The the old use it or lose it clause. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Exactly. Except in Latin, you just say it in Latin, and it's <laughs> lawyer speak. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's kind of how uh, this movie affected um, the future movies. And really, I don't know if we would even be able to have a Marvel Cinematic Universe scale of movies had it not been for the success of X-Men. Uh, the movie had an estimated budget of $75 million, which was considered low uh, because they, they're they like, listen, we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. I mean, we don't want to put it in two baskets. Two egg baskets? That's crazy. Uh, egg baskets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so um, opening weekend, it made Fifty-four million dollars and total gross just in the United States, it made a hundred and fifty-seven million dollars. Whoa! Um, yeah, egg baskets so it, on their face. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it was followed by X two, as well as uh, X three, The Last Stand, and X Men First Class, and then X Men Days of Future Past. As well as the Wolverine spinoffs, uh, X-Men Origins, colon, Wolverine, and The Wolverine, and now being released in 2017, Logan, which is inspired by the comic book Old Man Logan, one of my favorite comics of mm. all time. Yep, agreed. So good. Um, we got some more fun facts for you guys. Uh, I'm super excited about these things, because I didn't know this about the movie going in. Uh Hugh Jackman was cast three weeks into filming. Uh, They had already done principal photography, and then they said, oh, what's that guy doing? And so he was cast uh, three weeks into filming. I thought that was interesting. And Hmm. I noticed this. I did some more digging. Uh, Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Shadowcat, was played by three different actresses. 
So Ellen Page only played the role of Kitty Pride, aka Shadowcat, in the third X-Men movie and in Days of Future Past. Like that's right. it. In this movie, as well as X2, Colon United, um, it was two different actors. Two different. At first, I thought you were saying that Kitty Pride was played by three actors in the movie that we watched, which is the first X-Men. I'm like, oh. really? She's in, like, one scene. <laughs> no, uh, across all the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, three different actresses. Um, and, uh, interestingly enough, uh, this movie almost didn't have Ian McKellen in the movie. Or I take that back. Other way around. Uh, Ian McKellen almost didn't have this movie in him? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, Ian McKellen was offered the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, which mm-hmm. he originally had to decline because he committed to doing X-Men. Um, and so he actually talked to Brian Singer about uh, make, making Lord of the Rings. And Singer's like, oh, sure, man. And so he he moved the movie schedule around so that uh, Ian McKellen could both be in Lord of the Rings and X-Men. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing decade for Ian McKellen. <laughs> right? He's like, I only accept a movie if I'm going to get a good six films out of it. Yep. It's six films or I walk. I don't wait. I don't wake. I don't get out of bed for less than six films. I want oh. you to be crushed under the heft of the DVD set that will be the complete series of these films. Oh, yes. Oh, man. And um, and the actor who played uh, Mystique, Rebecca Romain. Romain? Oh, is that it? There's a J in there. Yeah, I think it's mostly silent. Oh, okay. Yeah, Rebecca Romain. Uh, her makeup took anywhere from 8 to 15 hours. And uh, it consisted of 110 custom designed prosthetics, uh, which covers 60% of her body. And here's the thing that I think is the most impressive thing she could not drink wine, use skin creams, or fly the day before filming because it could have caused her body chemistry to change slightly. They would cause her prosthetics to fall off. Like, off. Oh, oh I see. It changes, like, the oils in her skin and, and all that so that they wouldn't stick. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. At the time that she did this, she was Rebecca Romain Stamos, John oh, yeah. Stamos's wife. Oh, my goodness. She was also the host of a show called Skin Wars, um, which is about uh, – it's like a competition show about people doing uh, competitive body painting. And oh, yeah. I couldn't figure out why she was on the show, and now I'm just now realizing because she was Mystique. And she was covered in body paint for, like, three movies. Wow. I get it now. Now, when James Cameron walked away from the project, <laughs> do you think he's just like, I got an idea. <laughs> Blue people everywhere. Yeah, he's like, okay, uh, I think I really think that they brought him in and they said, yes, we have this character named Mystique. And they just show her, they show her, like, on, like, uh, like a, a character outline. And he's like, Blue people. Uh, I I gotta I gotta go. I think I'm double parked. <laughs> <laughs> and he just walks out. Blue people. Um, and last little bit of fun facts I have, mainly for us, Grayson. Uh, hmm. Guess what? The X Mansion was also 
used in. Is it the Gilmore Mansion from Gilmore Girls? You're so close. I mean, or maybe far I'm, off. I'm, yeah, uh, I'm not going to get it. Billy Madison. That's the Billy, oh. Billy Mal. I can't say the word. Billy Madison Mansion. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to go ahead and get into our reactions. Uh, so, Grayson, when was the last time you saw this movie? Ooh, Billy. It was probably at least 10 years ago. So yeah. I haven't rewatched this in a long time. But when it came out, I watched it over and over and over again, all the way through the VHS, so I could see Jubilee. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I... I mostly didn't remember seeing most of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing I remember is just the scene at the end. Um, and I didn't realize how similar this movie is to Star Wars. Uh, because it it starts off with like most great Star Wars movie. And that's like a Senate hearing. Uh, a galactic Senate <laughs> of sorts. Um, Senator Kelly um, doing his best um, now I'm just a simple southern lawyer um, impression and I just it it was I was I was really amazed at just like how well X-Men handled uh, I guess quote unquote space politics uh, better than Star Wars does sometimes because sometimes they just get too C-spanny for me. Uh, but this is just the right amount of regular news. Uh, just the way... Because, I mean, that... Politics plays such a huge role in the X-Men universe. And I right. I know that was something that I didn't pick up on as much. Uh, but I knew that the... Um, like, the themes were there. And it was uh, it was interesting to see just so many of the, the things that kind of don't hold up as well but just in a way that's just like oh wow this movie was made 17 years ago kind of way it actually held up better than i remembered oh right uh, totally like when the claws are coming out it's like mm. that i mean they did it right from the first try and then they kind of regressed with um you know Wolverine Origins Wolverine we have to get this out right now it needs more time to render there's no time to render (laughs) the thing that I just noticed I was just like oh gosh like this is kind of uncomfortable was how slow some of the fights felt Mm -hmm. Uh, the fights just felt a little slow to me which I was like this is weird like this this kind of feels like a slow scene Um, yeah and and then in some of the effects like uh and in, in my research, I found that like uh, Brian Singer got brought on to the Star Wars set to like learn about like computer graphics. Like in the early two thousands, it was still relatively new. Like it wasn't enough for them to do all of the like to make the whole movie, uh, you know, CGI. But it was it was new enough. It was still being developed, and it wasn't as much of a standard as it is today. Um, but like he went on set to like learn how to incorporate it, how to incorporate practical effects as well as, uh, computer generated effects. Uh, and it was, 
interesting how well this movie actually did. I was more impressed with like the um, practical effects that they did. Um, just yeah. a lot, a lot of like <laughs> Magneto just like lifting that big <laughs> those cars, and then like turning all those guns around. Like all of those were like mostly practical effects. I'm like, uh, yes, I love this so much. Yeah. Well, and I think the effects matched what they were capable of at the time. So, like, if they had attempted an X-Men Days of Future Past, time in a bottle, Quicksilver-type scene, it would have been rough. But that's not what they do. They have levitation and sticky tongues and things like that. Like, and just claws. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I... I know we've uh, we've gone way into this movie. I want to read you guys a synopsis of the movie uh, that is maybe my favorite synopsis of the movie. Because uh, it's basically from the perspective of someone who has never seen the movie. Or heard about X-Men. Here you go. Alright, so X-Men starts with some guy with claws and a runaway teenage girl who accidentally puts her boyfriend in a coma by kissing him. Uh, she's named Marie, but calls herself Rogue. Uh, then hitchhikes with the guy with claws. His name's Logan. Until they get attacked with a big guy who also has claws, but just less cool ones. And then they're rescued by a guy wearing a weird visor and a woman directing a snowstorm. X-Men! They're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong. Yeah. I think one of the things that, uh, that I picked up more on this time than the time before is... How I mean, X Men in the comics have always kind of been an allegory for um, fairly marginalized uh, groups of people. Uh, originally, it had its roots in the civil rights movement, uh, kind of like re- reflecting um, a lot of what was happening in the time uh, for civil rights. Um, and then I know uh, during the early two thousands, when this movie did come out, um, it largely reflected things of uh, gay rights. And then it's so interesting to me rewatching this. I mean, because it's the same movie, but just like it kind of just always fits into the time period. I realized that a lot of uh, themes that I connected to were uh, rights for immigrants uh, because Senator Kelly was just making all these things just like, well, shouldn't these people be registered? We don't know what they can do. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, is X-Men timeless? Like, I, I'm just like, this is, like, this is 17 years ago and still being relevant just with, like, the whole view of just someone who is different kind of thing. And I thought that was really impressive. Uh, just, I mean, that that that's really a testament to just X-Men as, like, uh, a comic book um, alone. But, like, also, like, how the movie, like, still is relevant today in that sense. I thought that was really interesting. I honestly think that X-Men is more of a civil war than Captain America's civil war was. Oh man, totally. Yeah. Because like, that's the cool thing is um, with X-Men, you have Charles Xavier and uh, Magneto who have these conflicting ideologies that they just fundamentally believe are right and um and i've talked about this um uh, several times uh probably off of the podcast but uh, a good villain is someone who believes that they are doing the right thing and i think that that's what makes magneto such a compelling villain because it's just like i mean 
I kind of see where he's coming from, especially with his background, which um, a lot of non-comic book uh, readers thought that uh, uh, Brian Singer just threw um, his uh, his Holocaust experience uh, in his childhood. Um, they thought that Brian Singer just like added that on, but like that's a part of his character, and it kind of always has been. Right. Uh, and so, like, I think that like just knowing that from his experience and like that informing his choices it's like i mean i get it like i i i see his side and like you're you're really conflicted with like what side to even root for really because i mean largely i mean as as an audience i feel like are meant to cheer for the x-men but at the same time i empathize Mm -hmm. with uh with Eric, uh, I couldn't remember his character's name, but like uh, Magneto's character, like you empathize with him because like you you see his side of things, but it's not you don't necessarily agree with his means about to which he's trying to get it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things that brought that connection even closer that I've never noticed before was there's a shot where Magneto is holding Wolverine's dog tags that Sabretooth has brought back. And he sees the number on the dog tag, and then it pans down to the the Holocaust number, the concentration camp number that was tattooed on his arm. And, I mean, it's pretty chilling to make the comparison there. There's a connection between Wolverine and Magneto that you never really you know, think about. And having seen X-Men Origins Wolverine, where you see that they are using mutants for their own purposes, and they are just kind of... They're like cattle to the powers that be. He is doing this for the best interest of his yeah. people. And it's uh, it, it raises a lot of questions about what is right and what is you know acceptable. And how do you go about creating a better world? I also think the best hero to villain relationships are the ones where the hero does not want to outright destroy the villain. Like, it's not as easy as just snapping Zod's neck. Like, you have to... You you have to respect the history that Professor X and, and Magneto have together that it to just kill Eric is not an option. Right. Like, they, they have to work together. And that is a solution that a, a weapon isn't going to solve. It's only going to be solved through interpersonal uh, conflict... And that's where the drama of these movies comes out. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because like they they always like meet up and they always have like this these conversations with each other. Um, like they play chess, which fun fact, neither one of them could play chess uh, when oh, yeah. <laughs> they were uh, recording those scenes. They're like, oh, uh, they brought in a chess master to teach them how to play chess. Uh, but th- they, they converse with each other. They have a mutual respect for each other uh, and, it, and i mean it plays out throughout any of the other x-men movies um even in the prequels like you see the history for them like they really are like a team of people who um they fundamentally believe in the same thing but to a point and that's where they split but they they still care about each other, which I thought was really cool, and that's something that I didn't. I don't think I realized um, the first time I saw it way back in the early two thousands, um, and I, I just thought that was really really strong. Fun fact: This is our second Ray Park yeah! film to review on the podcast. 
gets into your head cannon, but yeah. Toad and Darth Maul, the same dude. Oh, I got some head cannons for that. I got a question for you. If you were a an X-Men, what would your X-Men name oh, be? Yeah. Um goodness. I'm trying to think of what my like what my cuz here's the thing. The way the mutants exist in X-Men like some some of their abilities are like really cool um and then some of them are just like real dumb. Like Jubilee, for example. <laughs> hey guys, I can make I can make fireworks. <laughs> oh, like it can like hit people. Uh no, it's just, it's just fireworks. Like harmless purchasable fireworks. I can just generate them. Hmm. I'll call you for a barbecue. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of like what kind of like and it's the whole premise of X-Men is just like, oh no, this is like all evolutionary. But like what's that for? Like what's the sparklers for? Like that is amazing. Anyway. Uh, I don't know what I would want, and I've just said this about like what I would want my superpower to be. I would just love the ability of like a super imagination, so that like anything I think of would like manifest itself or would be real, like Green Lantern. Yeah, Green Lantern, but je- like with no ring, it would just be in my mind. Like I would be able to hold a sonic screwdriver, say this is a real sonic screwdriver, and it starts working. Um. Obviously, I've thought of this before. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, but g- going back to the name, it would have to be something that would make sense. I, I'm i just going to go ahead and say R2-D2. Sounds familiar. I, you, you probably haven't heard of it before. Because of Ricky the Second, and then D the Second. Yeah, because R. What is... A, an R, but a D with some legs. I would check the phrasing on that. Yep, I heard it almost immediately after I said it. So, um, my name would probably be um, D Legs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I can see it now. Yep. Um. Yeah. I. I mean. I can't think of a good name. I. I can. What. What. What do you think your names would be? Mm, I think if I were in the X Men universe, my X Men name would probably be Head Cannon. It was all just a setup to get us to Head Cannon. Dang it, Grace! <laughs> my head would turn into a cannon, and then I blow your mind. Uh, that was good. That was real good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. So, Headcanon is the part of the show where we share our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, here's my headcanon. Billy Madison is a mutant. That's it. Explain. He's just like, but the other way, evolution has given up on him and he's Absolutely. progressing. Well, I, I don't think, that, I think that his, uh, his mutant ability is, uh, it's just like, it just allows him to party really hard. <laughs> like, oh man, like he partied all that time and like he didn't destroy as many brain cells as he should have. Mutant ability. Uh, and I also believe that like his, because from my understanding, 
the Xavier Institute for Gifted Youngsters needs some kind of cash flow because if it's mostly runaways, these kids ain't paying tuition. No so, so my I would imagine that like just during the summer or spring break or whatever, um, his dad like the um the Madison Mansion is just one of many. Um, and like, that's like his vacation place to go to, like during the summers or whatever. And, uh, that's, that's mainly my headcanon. Nice. Nice. For my headcanon, I'm going to put a pause on all of the prequels. So first class, days of future past, apocalypse. I will just put those to the side because I, this could conflict, but anyway, my, my headcanon is that from viewing just the X-Men movie that we watched, that Magneto is searching for Wolverine because, as we know, Wolverine is a soldier and has been a soldier for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you watch X-Men Origins Wolverine, you see that he's fought in a ton of wars. Uh, my headcanon is that Magneto knows to look for him because Logan actually helped him break out of one of the original concentration camps. And he, this is a, a savior figure to him. And I would love to see that story of young Eric being rescued by Logan um, in one of Wolverine's earlier missions. Um, but headcanon is that is Magneto's true motivation to target this, uh, this mutant. I know they say at the end, like, I wasn't going for you. I was going for Rogue because... He wants to like send out all of the abilities, and she's a substitute. But the way he looks at that dog tag and then to the number on his arm, there's a connection there. And we touched on it earlier as to why that could be, but there could be a, a very interesting, deeper story where these two have met long ago. And if that's the case, it's possible that Wolverine even helped shape some of Eric's early thoughts about the split between humans and mutants um, and kind of led him down this path so that's my headcanon i mean that's great that's great headcanon what would you say if that was actually a storyline in the comics i'd probably just sell all my microphone (laughs) is it really it is yeah um there's a storyline where um wolverine in Captain America, um, there's this uh, a, there's a thing called uh, Operation Rebirth. Gross. <laughs> uh, this is actually in X Men Evolution, first shown in X Men Evolution, I should say, um, the animated series that was inspired largely by the X Men movies, um, mm. and it's where Captain America and Wolverine um, rescue uh, Magneto. From this, uh, from this concentration camp. Well, yeah, good, good for them. <laughs> You're on the same page as Marvel. Uh, that's great. I mean, that I think that that's already just such a strong storyline, and to think that you didn't know that that existed already—that's that's awesome. We're on the same page. <laughs> Oh man! Well, and I, I my actual other piece of headcanon um, has to do with Toad, hmm. the Jedi. Oh. 
So, my headcanon is that um, Darth Maul is a mutant. Interesting. Not an alien, but a mutant. And that his home planet is what would eventually become Earth. Whoa. Or or at least a very Earth-like planet that would deal with that. So, like, basically just tying them ancestrally. He would have to be, like, apocalypse old for that. Yep. Interesting. All right. And now we are going to go into the, the part of the show where we like to talk about Second Take Titles. Uh, Second Take Titles is the part of the show where we uh, give the movie another title uh, just for funsies. Because X-Men, as a movie title, it's it's very accurate. <laughs> um, and I personally would have called it um, Knife Hand Man Makes Friends. But they might think you're talking about Edward Scissorhands. Dang it! I would have called it Logan Scissorhands. <laughs> yeah, he never cut hair with those claws, did he? I mean, technically, he gave the Statue of Liberty a haircut when he swung all the way around it. <laughs> Nailed it! Got it. <laughs> uh, for my second take title, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously, Logan and Wolverine gets a lot of attention in this, as does Professor Xavier and Magneto, rightfully so. But I think the real hero of the movie is Rogue. And since this is the first one in the series... I gotta call it Rogue One, <laughs> and I see no problem with that. Oh, that's that's great. No, I like it. All right, now we're gonna go into the part of the show where we talk about recasts and remakes. Uh, we are going to give you guys our nominees for uh, who we would recast in a modern day um, X Men movie. So, if this movie were to be made today, who would we cast, and what would be the storyline for it? Uh, I would have to say that I would, I, I, I mean, Hugh Jackman has been great as Wolverine. Uh, he's very tall. He's not as, um, stouty, uh, short and stout as Wolverine is in the comics. Uh, so honestly, the guy who plays Punisher in Daredevil, I would love for him to play Wolverine. John Bernthal, uh, but he's fantastic. I think that he would be an amazing Wolverine. Uh, so that's my nomination. And then, um, honestly, like, I think that this just would have completely been a complete, uh, career change, um, for, uh, if, if we were to go back in time, I don't know if this would still be a thing that she would be capable of doing. I don't know. Reese Witherspoon for Rogue, uh, just because of her extensive work in, um, Sweet Home Alabama. I just think that the southern accent, sure, because there, uh, and uh, and then Storm, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith in the early two thousands, just because I saw that she was one of the people who was actually nominated, or like not nominated, but like she was up for the role, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, Cyclops, Jason Marsden, look him up, he's the voice of Max. It's just it's just my preferred Marsden only reason um and then professor x um i think we're all thinking it um none other than jason statham 
be a very angry Professor X. <laughs> what about you? Uh, who would you recast? I've been seeing it online, and I'm inclined to agree. I, I believe Hugh Jackman himself even gave his endorsement, but Tom Hardy for Logan would be pretty yeah. amazing. Um, no, that'd be great. And then uh, for for Magneto, I was thinking Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Ooh. Keep it in the Sir family. Um, yeah. And then for Professor X, I was thinking Brian Cranston. We know he looks good bald, and we know the guy can act. <laughs> All right, now we're going to wrap up our review with giving you our final segment, our reasons to recommend. Grayson, why would you recommend the 2000 X-Men movie? Two words. Hugh Jackman is amazing. That is more than two. Well, I didn't say which two. <laughs> Hugh Amazing. With his tenure in the X-Men universe coming to an end, I highly recommend going back and rewatching the first X-Men that launched this amazing career. I believe he holds the record for the most number of films a single actor has portrayed a comic book character. And you see why. Like, he is a great actor. He's clearly put in the physical work over the years. In fact, like, X-Men is the least ripped of all the movies, and he's still in better shape than I ever hoped to be. And it's just been an amazing ride to see this, the ups and downs, taking the good and the bad with the different films, but uh, the constant in all of that has been Hugh Jackman, and this movie sets up that career uh, perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would recommend this movie because it's it's always interesting to me to see uh, one of those pioneer films that kind of changed a lot for uh, not only just movie industries, but just for the comic book movie standard. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said before, like the only other movie that had been able to succeed uh, as a franchise was Batman. And at that point in time, uh, Batman was like winding out of its uh, ability to really just absolutely destroy the box office before they had to reboot it. Um, and X Men was it really gave us this gateway into a world of comics, um, and it it made way for so many other movies. So um, not only just the historical significance, but just um, how timely it is. Like it's. The X-Men, I feel like, will always throughout time be relevant. Um, And it's especially just with um, the themes that they cover um, about just um, the acceptance of uh, mutants in their world and, like, how it parallels to our world and, like, whichever kind of marginalized group uh, it can represent. I think that's what the X-Men, as a comic is there for it's it's there for us to see our world um and see see our world in a way through comics that kind of makes us to understand that like hey like regardless of if these people look different than me we're all still like people and that was a cool thing to see in the x-men it's just like yeah like these kids, when they get this sanctuary that is Professor X's um, Xavier School for the 
gifted youngsters like they're still just kids they just so happen to have abilities kind of thing and i think it's always cool to see how well um the movie holds up with its subject matter just over time so that and man just hugh jackman he's he's just a treat and that is our review of the first x-men movie uh, let us know what you remember about the x-men movie or some of your favorite moments on twitter and instagram we are at flashback flicks and be sure to leave us a review on itunes it really helps this show get discovered um and it really helps people to know um what happens when toads get struck by lightning um your review helps other people get that information uh, so, yes, please leave us a review letting us know uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning toads, uh, <laughs> what do you think of the podcast? <laughs> and be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until next time, remember to be kind and rewind.